Good morning, everybody. Good to be here. Get some good energy in the room. Good faith, good expectation. And I know God's doing a lot. It's funny. Someone asked me, how was your week? And I said, that was a blur. And then I, had, I talked to two more people, and they said the same thing. It's kind of like the theme of what's going on right now. But God is doing a lot of good things. And speaking of a blur, this, to start off today, if you can imagine, this has probably been, you've, I think most of us have probably had this experience. Imagine you're driving down I-70, and, you know, you're maybe, maybe stretching the speed limit just a little bit. And all at once you see that familiar, dreaded red and blue light in your rearview mirror. And you go, oh, shoot, I'm busted. And so, but then the, the highway patrolman comes up, but he passes you. And then he nails that other guy that was speeding, going down I-70. And you're like, whew. And then you're like, you know what? He, he kind of deserved it. <laughs> he, was, he was driving you know, even faster than me. And, you know, and I, I, I'm a pretty good driver. I, you know, I maybe, I don't go more than five miles over the speed limit usually. And I use cruise control. And, you know, this is a great new car. I got a great deal last month. Man, I'm, they're busted. I'm free. Well, that's kind of how the, we read Romans 1 last week, and that was the introduction to this chapter. And as we talked about, it matters. These, these books in the Bible always have a context. And Romans was a letter written to the church in the city of Rome, and there were two groups of people in the church. There were the Jewish background believers who were from the nation of Israel who were living in Rome, and then there were everybody else, the natural citizens of Rome, the Gentiles, as they were called. And Romans 1, Paul just lays into them and nails them and says, hey, you all, you've suppressed the truth of God because you want to sin. And he lays out just the decadence of people's lives and the culture. And uh, the sexual immorality, the idolatry, the greed, the lust, he's just like, bam nailing them. And a lot of the Jews in the audience, the first time they heard this letter, they were probably like, like us on I-70, feeling like, you know what, yeah, those Romans, those Gentiles, they really needed to hear that. That was an important message for them. They, 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 they got some, there's some serious sin in our culture and in their lives, and they really needed to hear that. And so Paul starts chapter 2, and he says this, he says, you may think you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad, and you have no excuse. I think he's speaking specifically to the religious people here, the Jewish background believers. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself, for you who judge others do these very same things. Now this is kind of like, so you're driving down I-70, everything happened, and then you keep going down the road, and then the police car comes up behind you, and the lights go back on, and he pulls you over the second time. And you see the first guy in his car driving past, holding his warning for his <laughs> speeding, waving at you. And it turns out the policeman comes over and says, hey, not only are your tags expired, but this car is a stolen vehicle. You're in serious trouble here. That's basically what Paul is doing to the audience right here. It's like, you think you're off the hook, but I'm talking to you. You talking to me? That's our title tonight. You talking to this morning? You talking to me? I'm talking to you. In verse 2, it says, And we know that God in his justice will punish anyone who does such things. 
Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? And then he goes on in the following verses to talk about how God is a just judge and a day of judgment is coming where we will all give an account to God for our lives. And this is something not to take lightly. And you, audience who I'm talking to, you need to be warned and prepared for this. Um, You know, you'd think that we wouldn't judge others when we do the same thing, right? You'd think, like, we would be above that, but we're not, right? We're very good at judging other people. And the Romans were like this, too. The Romans were famous for their philosophers and their moralizers and their their different different camps. There was a, a Roman philosopher named Seneca, and he was, he had just, he wrote volumes about the right way to live and how to live moral lives and how to make wise choices. Kind of like your teach, one of the teachers here in uh, middle school, or high school, Manhattan High School. Some of you may have had this teacher. He would always tell the kids on the weekend, make good choices. <laughs> that was kind of like, go make good choices. So Seneca was like that. But it was interesting, some of his friends and contemporaries pointed out, hey Seneca, a lot of the things that you're telling people how they should live, you're not doing that. You're breaking your very own rules. And we're very like that. And the more religious we are, the more easy it is to have this mindset and mentality. It's kind of like in the Jewish, some of the Jewish audience may have, may have said something like this. Like, you know, I quite agree with your denunciation of the awful immorality that goes on all around. But surely you would agree that people like us are different. That with a little education and willpower, we can rise above all that and live a life of virtue to which all sensible people aspire. You know, there's that that mentality. And, but Paul says, not at all. We are all guilty. God's moral law is like a sheet of glass. That if there is one crack in that pane of glass, it's broken. It's, there's no like middle ground. It's either unbroken or it's broken. And that's how God's moral law is. Either we've broken it or we haven't. And guess what? We've all broken it a whole lot. Um, the Jews were, and this, this story is kind of like if, if you know the story of the, the prodigal son, which the, the father had two sons. Jesus told the story, and one of them left, took the inheritance, and lived this wild partying life, and just broke all the rules. He was, he was like Romans chapter 1, the obvious stuff. But then he came to his senses and came back to the father. And the father forgave him. But there was an older brother. And he got mad, because he's like, hey, I've, like, I've been good, and you're throwing a party for my bad brother. What's up with that? And actually, his attitude was even worse than the younger brother. And so the Jews, and he, they, they, they took a lot of pride that they had the law, they had the religious history, um, their, but their privilege hadn't done them any good. We keep reading in verse 21. Paul says, well, then if you teach others, why don't you teach yourself? You tell others not to steal, but do you steal? You say it's wrong to commit adultery, but do you commit adultery? You condemn idolatry, but do you use items stolen from pagan temples? I'm not sure exactly there are different theories about what he's talking about there, but 
it wouldn't be something they weren't doing if he hadn't said it. So there you have it. You are so proud of knowing the law, but you dishonor God by breaking it. It's like, wow, we know the law. Oh, but we're breaking it. Oh, well, it's better not to know the law than to know it and break it. No wonder the scriptures say the Gentiles blaspheme the name of God because of you. So they were, they were breaking God's law too, just like, just like we all do. And if you think about, he's, he's, Paul's going to lead into this, there were certain things that Jews were putting their confidence in. Things like, well, we have God's law. Things like, we're circumcised, the, the males were circumcised. And this was a, a sign of the covenant that God had made with his people to say, hey, because I'm your people, and I've called you to be faithful to me, I want to ask all the, all the males to be circumcised, to have this surgery on their private parts. And so it's I'm weird how, you know, it's strange. You guys can smile. We're talking about circumcision. But they, there was a, became a badge of honor. I'm like, how did you know he was circumcised? I don't know. But it became this, like, this, badge, this badge of honor. And they forgot the whole point, that it was really uh, just a marker, kind of like a wedding ring. It was like, hey, this is the show that God has reached out to you and made a covenant with you. But they began to take their pride in this, this, this religious action that had been done. But... We're not, we're not different than that. There are things that we put our confidence in that we can easily like, be puffed up and feel, feel good about ourselves. So I'm going to ask you, just throw out some answers. What are some of the things that we, we tend to put our confidence in? Money. Yeah, okay. I got money. I'm doing pretty good. Success. Yeah. Education. Yeah, I got a, I got a degree. I got a higher degree. I've got good grades. Close, yeah. It's never been a huge stumbling block for me, but yes. <laughs> I was in a clothing store yesterday. It's like twice a year I find myself. But yes, that's a thing. Like, yeah, I look good. So yeah, I can put confidence in that. What else? Physical ability. Physical ability, yeah. Whether it's a skill or athletic ability or, yeah, things like that. Health. Power. Is that what you said? Yeah, good. We got a lot here. Oh, now you're getting to it. Yeah. Woo. Yeah, man, I'm serving the Lord. I'm on the welcome team. Man, I come and I serve. I read my Bible. I pray. I go to church. I'm going to that membership class. I'm going to be a member. You know, please come. I'm not trying to discourage you from coming. That's great. But... It's putting our confidence in those, being our, like, our ego pumped up from those things. Um, yeah, it can be being a good parent, how good our kids do. Those of us who are parents, like, that's a, that's a trap. Because, you know, it's dependent on what our kids do, that our self-confidence. But that can be very enticing. Um, it can be, hey, I marched in the anti-climate uh, change rally this week. Or I look down on those people who marched in the anti-climate change rally. It's, we, we have these, these standards, these morality things. I'm a vegan. Or I, I drive an economy car. Or no, I drive an SUV. I mean, it's just like we, there's so many things we can put our confidence in. Well, I have a good job, yeah. Um, so all these, but really it's important to look at what are the things that I tend to put my confidence in apart from Christ. In verse 28, Paul says, For you are not a true Jew, 
just because you're born of Jewish parents or because you've gone through the ceremony of circumcision. No, a true Jew is one whose heart, whose heart is right with God. Ah, oh, that's a huge. A true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it's a change of heart produced by the Spirit. And a person with changed heart seeks praise from God, not people. Moving on in chapter 3, he says, you know, he just keeps on going, laying out. Uh, we're guilty. In verse, verse 9 of chapter 3, he says, No one escapes from being under the power of sin. Now that's, we've been talking about the myth of autonomy, that sin is not just things that we do, but it's a power. The Bible talks about it as sp spiritual entities, dark forces. A sin is not just personified as if we're making it seem like it is a real power, but it really is. And so we sin because we're under the power of sin. We, we're going to serve something. And we're, we're all under the power of sin. Um, no one escapes. I heard it said a while ago, this is stuck in my mind, that if we, when we think that the gospel, that someone else needs the good news of Jesus more than I do, then I'm missing what the gospel is all about. When I think, oh, that person really needs it, then I've forgotten. I've I am not in touch with, with my real need. In verse 9, we, we go on. It says, the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. Wow. No one's righteous, not even one. Earlier, the, in, in the prophet Isaiah had said that even the most righteous things that you do, your righteous acts, your righteous acts, your righteous acts are like filthy rags. And really, it's a much more graphic description than filthy rags. Let's just say dirty diapers. Okay, that's still not even just getting to what he's saying. That your righteous things that you do, the good things that you do, in God's eyes, those are filthy rags. Because what's going on in our hearts so often is pride, judgmentalism, uh, ungratefulness. It's really like, we can do like, things that seem so good, but it's really from a place of, of pride and sin. It says here, no one's righteous, not even one. It's like, not even, are your acts not righteous? But you're not righteous. This, I don't know a more delicate way to say this, but basically he's saying, hey, your, your righteous acts, your righteous acts, I mean, I keep going there. Didn't <laughs> make a new word. Your righteous acts. Your righteous acts are dirty diapers, and you're not righteous. Basically saying, you're a turd. All right? I don't know a better way to say it. You are a turd. That's what, okay, if you, if you get, learn one thing this morning, that's what we need to understand. I, that's who I am. That's, that's really who I am. No one's righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one's seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. Useless, man. No one does good. Not a single one. All right. Praise the Lord. Give the Lord a shout. Man, this is, why were we so happy this morning singing those songs? This is like intense. It's dark. Not what we usually hear in our culture, but you've got to understand the bad news, like we talked about last week, to appreciate and understand the good news. We have to see our need for a Savior. 
We are no one's righteous. Paul's been weaving a court case. This word righteous, he says no one is righteous. We tend to think of it in moral terms, like good boy, bad boy, good girl, bad girl. It was really more of a legal term. It was a term that was used in, in a court case. It would be when the judge said, declares you as in the right. Not guilty, but righteous. Kind of like innocent, but even stronger. It's that you're right in the eyes of the law. There's a declaration that you are righteous. And this is said, no one is righteous. And in, in this culture, people were a lot closer to what was going on in, in courts. It would be like your neighbor was being tried for stealing something. And everybody was going to listen to this verdict. Everyone knew what was happening. It's kind of like in the, the local paper here, the Mercury and other papers do this. They, I know most of you don't read the paper, but this is a thing. There's a, there's a newspaper. And they actually, they list, they, they, they show who's broken the law. And there are people, like, that's the section they read. Like, they want to see who got in trouble for not mowing the grass on their rental. Or who, uh, who went bankrupt. Or who had a divorce. Like there, like people, and that's kind of like the mentality that righteous in the eyes of, of the law. What is what is the court declared? And people know you're standing in society based on that. Um, this is saying no one is righteous, not even one. Everybody's in the paper. Everybody's guilty. I, this reminds me when I was in seventh and eighth grade. I moved to the school, and we had a quite rowdy class. <laughs> so many stories I could tell, and we had. The main two teachers were the opposite kind of teacher you needed for a rowdy class. They had no authority whatsoever, just very, just overwhelmed. And so Mr. Woodrich would periodically just, if he didn't know what to do, he'd say, David Nichol to the principal, and he'd send him to the principal, or Lee Jones to the principal. Lee and David were some of the most common offenders. They were always get, getting sent to the principal. <laughs> one time, just one story because it's fun. One time that happened, David to the principal. So David walks out the room, he's kind of like waving at everybody. And then in the back of our classroom, it was like this, there was a wall, but the top row, there was a window. The top height of the wall, there was a window. And David was a pretty acrobatic kid. And he climbed the tile, scaled the wall outside. And the next thing we know, we see this face peering through the window at us all, <laughs> and making faces and smiling at us. And we all start busting up. And so Mr. Woodrow says, ah! He just <laughs> goes out and tries to handle him. But one time, we were so bad, he didn't know what to do. Mr. Woodrow just said, all of you to the principal! <laughs> and our whole class, not, not solemnly at all, if you can imagine, but we, the whole class, walked to the principal's office and just flooded this office with our whole class. He didn't, the principal was just about as bad as Mr. Woodridge. It was, it was not a good situation. But anyway, this is basically, you know, God's not like Mr. Woodridge, but it was kind of like that, like, all of you, the whole lot of you, go to the principal. That's what he's, that's what he's saying here. Um, so verse 20, for no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. Now let that hit you. No one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. No one can be made right with God by being a good enough student, by having enough people like us, by having a good enough job, by having enough money in the bank, by having a good enough reputation. None of us can be made right with God 
by doing any of those things. Those, the law, God's moral law actually just is designed, it is a good law, like how we should live, but one of its main purposes is to show us that we fall short. It's to show us that we need a Savior, that we cannot fulfill the requirements of the law. Um, you know, but we all, you know, but we, we try so hard to make a case for ourselves. We try so hard. I, this week, my wife Ray and I were watching, we've been watching this Netflix um, kind of documentary or series. It's the a User's Guide to Cheating Death. I don't know if any of you have seen this, but there was a series on plastic surgery, cosmetic surgery. And it was mostly centered in South Korea, where getting plastic surgery is like getting orthodontic work here. It's just so common. Um, but then it was talking about the U.S. as well. But it was crazy talking to all, interviewing all these people who were getting cosmetic surgery, and you'd look at them and think, like, wow, they, like, they don't really need it. Like, they look pretty good already. But there was just this deep, built-in sense of, I'm not good enough. This deep, built-in sense of, I don't measure up. And I will do, I need to do whatever I can do to try to feel better about myself and to present myself to people in a better light. And it was just very interesting hearing the, the, the rationalizations for why I'm doing this. Because it really just points to the thing that we all feel inside of us. That no matter how good we are, we have this sense, really, that there's, man, we, we fall short. We, we don't measure up. There's something in us that isn't how we're supposed to be. Um, so that's our, that's our condition. But that leads to the good news, the good news for, every, for everyone. In Romans chapter 3, verse 21, we read, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. Marinate on that. Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. This is saying, it's not, I love that phrase, it's not our righteousness, but it's the righteousness of God. It's not us proving our righteousness, but God has made his righteousness known, apart from the law. To which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness, this right standing before God, is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So how do we receive this righteousness? It's through faith in Jesus Christ. It's not through the law. It's not through our good efforts, our good works, how much we accomplish, how many people we impress. It's through Faith in Jesus Christ. It's interesting that that phrase, faith in Jesus Christ, it's kind of ambiguous. It could be translated like it is there, faith in Jesus Christ, or it could be translated the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And both are true, actually. It's through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ that this righteousness comes to us. And we receive it through our faith in his faithfulness, our faith in his righteousness, our faith in who he is. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There it is. We're all under sin. And we, one of our sayings we, we like to say around here is that your calling and destiny matter to us. 
Sin is not just bad because it's like, oh, you know, black mark on your soul, or, you know, you're, that's, you're dirty. But it's, sin is falling short of the glory of God. It's falling short of being image bearers. It's falling short of being the people God called us to be. All is sin, and we fall short of living the kind of life that God made us to. And our calling and our destiny that God made us for do matter. And so sin, it keep, why it's so damnable is that it keeps us from living the life God intended us to live, the life that God has for us. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all, good news for everyone, all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. In other words, his, his death on the cross for our sins is enough to forgive and transform every one of us. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. There are a lot of theological words in this passage. We've got atonement, redemption. Atonement, and it's also sometimes translated propitiation, but it, it means the appeasing of the anger of a deity. It means there's a God who's upset. And we don't like that idea, but if you can think about, man, if, if your spouse cheated on you, then being upset would be appropriate. And we have all been unfaithful to God. We have turned to other gods. We've been unfaithful to him. And so there is, like we, there is a righteous upsetness that God has. But we're justified. All, atonement also, would, in the Jewish mind, as they're hearing this, they would go back to the Day of Atonement, which was a day in the Old Testament. Once a year. It's Yom Kippur now. It's, I mean, it's, it's what it's known as in, in Hebrew. And it's, it's just it's coming up here in a couple weeks. And that was the Day of Atonement for the sins of the whole people, the whole, the whole nation. And on that day, the high priest would take a bull and he would sacrifice it for his own sins. And then he would take two goats and he would sacrifice one of those goats. And then he would lay his hand on the other goat and transfer the sin and the guilt of the entire nation onto that goat. And it would go off into the, the desert. And then the priest would take the blood of, of, the, of the bull and the goat and kick it with him. The only time, once a year, he went into the, the most holy place, the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. And he went to the Ark of the, the Covenant. And the top of that was called the, the Cover of Atonement. And he would take that blood and he would pour it out upon the cover of atonement. It was the blood that covered over the sin of the people. And Jesus was the fulfillment of this, the sacrifice once for all, that he took the punishment that we deserved. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness, his righteousness, because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness of the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I love that. It's to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time. It's good news for everyone right now. It's God's salvation, God's forgiveness, his righteousness is available right now for us as we trust him. In verse 29, he says, Is God the Jew, God of the Jews only? He's not, is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Since there's only one God 
who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. In Christ, through his sacrificial death on the cross, people are declared to be righteous, declared to be right with God if we trust in him and put our faith in him. So, man, this is good news. This is good news for us. Um, I want to just kind of bring it home for us. This is, I think, depending on where we're at, this applies differently in our lives. Maybe we're here this morning and you've never acknowledged your sin. You never realize, man, I'm a sinner. I've sinned against a righteous God. And that's, that's a problem. The starting point is to acknowledge your sin and say, I'm a sinner and I, I need a Savior. And, man, I want to look to Jesus to be my Savior. Um, maybe you need to repent for being self-righteous. Maybe you're, the temptation or the place you find yourself in is kind of that, hey, I don't, I don't need the gospel as much as that other person. You're like the Jews, or the, the person, you know, the, the I-70 guy with the, the cop going past you the first time, going, hey, yeah, I'm good. Man, they really need it, but not me. Maybe you need to repent of your self-righteousness and receive the righteousness of God. Um, then maybe your sins are more like the Gentiles. Maybe they're more obvious. It's good news for everyone. Uh, maybe, maybe you're a Christian. This is where I find myself so often, but you find yourself in a place where you've been focusing on, on your own righteousness instead of Christ's righteousness for you. It's become about, how good am I doing? And, man, am I doing, oh, am I serving enough or doing enough? And it's kind of become a chore or a, a job or just this weight. And you find yourself living out of your own righteousness and not receiving gratefully the righteousness of God and saying, no, God, it's your righteousness. That's who I am. That's what I stand in. I trust you today. You know, wherever we are, it's, it's faith towards God, faith in Christ. Um, our response, I just want to put this up on the, on the screen here. It starts with, with humility. It's admitting that I'm a sinner who needs a Savior. God, oh, I, I am broken. I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. No matter where we are. From that starting point of acknowledging our need, then moving to a place of faith. A place of, of, of faith, of trust in Christ. God, I'm not trusting in my own goodness. I'm trusting in your goodness. I'm trusting in your cross. And not just for one time to get saved, but every day to live in your righteousness. I'm trusting in you, and out of that, there's a loyalty, there's an allegiance that I'm going to be faithful to you. I'm going to keep being faithful to you as I'm trusting in you. And then, the last thing is gratitude. Man, seeing this should produce a gratitude in us. God, you've been so good. You don't give me what I deserve. You give me your grace out of your righteousness. So we're going to, um, I'm going to pray, but worship team can come on up. We're going to, after that, we're going to worship God and express our gratitude with, with one more song. Um, but man, I just love this good news. Love that it's not just something we need once, but it's something we need every day, every moment to live in. God, it's you. It's your righteousness. It's not mine. Uh, let's, would you uh, bow your head, close your eyes, let's, let's pray together.